Welcome to All About HR. I'm your host, Tom Horn, and I'm on a journey to learn about all things HR. I'm documenting my conversations with thought leaders, HR professionals, and real employees about everything from recruiting, workplace of the future, benefits, you name it. We're all about HR. Let's go. Welcome back to All About HR. Sitting here at my microphone, my favorite place to be, having great conversations, learning all about HR from all the fantastic guests that contribute their time to joining the show. Just want to give a shout out to everybody that listens, to everybody that's ever joined, contributed, commented, shared. Really appreciate you. This is a labor of love, a labor of learning, and we couldn't do it without you. So thank you, everyone, for sticking with us. And... I feel like I'm saying thank you to a larger audience. Every one of our last seven episodes has had more listeners than the episode before it. So we're, we're on the growth path. We're getting more people listening. And it just, it just puts coal, uh, coal into our furnace here at All About HR. So thank you, everyone out there. Really excited for today's conversation. We're coming at a little bit of a different angle. And, uh, you know, I'll talk a little bit about how our guest today, Ron Alexander, and I met kind of a unique way uh, that uh, first person I've met actually this way that's joined our podcast. But first, let's talk about Ron. Ron Alexander is a board certified safety professional with over 50 years experience in developing, managing safety programs in a variety of environments for companies having a few dozen employees to a thousand plus employees. His employee experience includes heavy industry, nuclear, secondary metals, explosives, and light manufacturing. Additionally, he has performed safety consulting work at and with many of our national laboratories as well as some Fortune 500 companies. Mr. Alexander is co-recipient of the Secretary of Energy's Award of Excellence for Innovations in Radiation Shielding Design as well as Vice President Al Gore's Hammer Award for Making Government Work Better and Cost Less. That's a lot of really cool stuff. Ron. Welcome to All About HR. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, tell us about the Hammer Award. I, uh, let's let's get let's stay on your bio here for a second. Like that seems like a pretty cool title. You know, like why is it called the Hammer Award? Do you know? <clears throat> well, I'm not sure why they call it the Hammer Award, but government costs a lot. In case you hadn't noticed your tax bill lately, right? And uh, I worked for a government contractor, and they were always trying to find ways to cut cost. And I was uniquely qualified to work on this project. I was doing consulting at the time. And I got called in to do a floor level project with a bunch of maintenance people, a maintenance team to go into a nuclear facility and find ways to cut their costs because they were spending an enormous amount of money on maintenance. And we went in, I had a team of about 12 maintenance guys, and I was the team facilitator. I like that word better than leader in this case because I'm not a maintenance guy, but I knew how to uh, work with people. And so we went into this organization, and we were immensely successful. We saved, we found that ways to save money, millions of dollars every year, and uh, the management was so impressed with that that they nominated us for this Hammer Award. That's a great story. I mean, that's a big change. And we did this by letting, what we did was we listened to the maintenance guys because these maintenance guys are the floor level people. They're out there on the floor every day. They knew what needed to be fixed, but nobody would ever let them fix it. 
So who was I to tell them no? I said, yeah, let's fix this and see what happens. And then they seen, they sent a team of uh, industrial engineers behind us when we were done to validate that we weren't just blowing smoke, that we actually did achieve this. And that's how the Hammer Award was awarded to our team. I love that story. And, Ron, you, you know where my perspective comes from. Employee voice. Yet another example of where just giving your employees a voice, getting them involved in the process, and going from bottom up rather than top down can drive some of the best successes um, and some of the best innovation, regardless of what industry you are in. So that's uh, that's that story is music to my ears, Ron. So tell us about what you're currently focused on uh, in your role. And then we'll expand into some of the details on kind of what and how you've done things in your career. But what are you doing right now? Tell us a little bit about your current role. Well, my current role is I'm working with a, a very innovative, very young company. And they brought me in to set up all the health and safety stuff. And they give me the, the freedom to do the things I've always wanted to do but it's never able to do because of office politics. For example, this company has no HR person. There's like nearly 100 employees. We don't have an HR department. We don't have an HR person. We don't have a payroll person. We don't have a disciplinary action program. And when I, one of the things I did, I said, when, as long as I'm here, we're not going to have any safety rules. Safety rules, well, we'll talk about that later perhaps, but they're negative. So instead of having safety rules, we have safety practices. So we follow safety practices. We don't obey rules. I like that. And so I'm instead of using rules and the progressive disciplinary programs that most places have, we're using best practices. And I'm, and I'm teaching the supervisors how to get things done without using disciplinary action. That's where we're going to spend a lot of our time today. I, I, I love, you know, from our earlier conversations, I love some of the kind of the pathways for driving performance and upskilling supervisors and managers. And for everyone listening, that's going to be our big topic today that we're going to dig into. But I also want to like pull out something you mentioned that a lot of your history, a lot of your experience is safety. You're a safety guy. How does safety correlate to HR and how have you been able to connect the dots to some of the lessons? Where, where's the overlap there? <clears throat> when I became a safety person, I went to all kinds of schools and classes. I spent the first couple of years of my career going to schools. And here's what we learned. The first thing we learned was accidents. 15% of all accidents are caused by unsafe actions And 80% of our accidents and injuries were caused by unsafe behavior. So what happened was our government, in their infinite wisdom, they made up the OSHA program to take care of unsafe conditions, but they didn't touch unsafe behavior. And so we wound up with this situation. You follow the, the OSHA regulations, and you go so far at some level in your safety performance, but you hit a ceiling. And if you want to go, one of the things we learned as a safety guy is if you want, you get stuck at this place called safety culture. You can't go any higher than your safety culture. And none of the OSHA compliance stuff affects safety culture. And so I spent years, and I'm not the only one, everybody in safety was fighting this safety culture thing. 
And we were told it takes three to five years to change the culture. But I never succeeded in changing the culture in any of the places I worked until fairly recently when I did something different. And is that something different what we're going to spend most of our time talking to today? Quite possibly. All right. I love it. Before we get into that, every guest, the first official question is, what are you listening to right now? I listen to audiobooks. I have a long drive every morning, about an hour each way. And the, and I listen, I'll find a book, something that's got value in it, and I listen to it over and over and over. One of the main ones is a book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And that's a book I recommend everybody read if you're in business. And the other book is a book called Atomic Habits by, uh, I believe the name is James Clear is the author. And he has, in chapter two of that book, a really good discussion of identity. And that's one of the things I talk about when I train new supervisors. You have to have an identity. You can't just show up. If you want to succeed, you have to have an identity. What is your identity and how to form that identity? I love that. I've uh, One of our other guests just mentioned Atomic Habits recently, and I said, oh, I got to pick that up and listen to it, and I still yep. have not. So now, now I really have to because we've got, I think, two out of my last four conversations now. Uh, this has come up, so I got to get on that. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes here. And We've given a couple previews. We've given some hints, but Ron, you were talking about how you came from safety and you were never able to kind of break that safety culture ceiling until you were able to do something. And when we first started talking, you know, we focused a lot of the, what came out of conversations, upskilling supervisors, managers, you talked about not having rules, but how you uh, kind of change the perspective to drive safety, connect all those dots from where we've been kind of tiptoeing around how are you? How did you find to be able to start changing culture? Okay, let me let me give you a very short outline of kind of the the big picture. The big picture is a pathway. It starts with communication skills. These communication skills morph into coaching. Coaching morphs into another skill called continuous improvement. And continuous improvement, we probably won't talk much about today. But that's the money shot. That's where the money is. We come to work in manufacturing every day to figure out a way to make money. And that's kind of the reward for all this other stuff. So let's back up to communication. Much of the communication in industry is exactly the same way it was in 1970 when I got my first job out of college, which was a safety engineer job. Today, it hasn't changed hardly at all. Even though we know... We talked about this in our earlier discussion. We know that the thing that makes some companies better than others is the thing called employee engagement. Remember that conversation? Oh, yeah. That's good. The problem with that is that 80% of the managers and supervisors and leaders don't have a clue as to how to do that. Most of them can't really even define it. So I had an event in my career kind of toward the end where we were in a bind in safety. We had, we started off with the worst safety performance in decades. It was horrendous. 
And there's some, there were some factors for that that I won't go into, but there were some horrendous things, pressures going on, and I had to do something. And I came up with this program. I had a program that was forced on me that wasn't working, that was causing all these problems. And I kind of stealthily changed it as kind of out of desperation. And what I did is we went to all of our supervisors and we had each one of those supervisors go to their 10 of their employees every day and, and ask about a safety issue. We went to that imp- 10 different employees and said, what do you think we can do better on this, this safety issue? We did that every day, every supervisor, every salaried person in the facility did that. They would go out on the floor and we would find 10 employees and we'd ask them, okay, what are you going to do? Okay, we started off with slips, trips, and falls. And every day we would find however many hazards we could find. We, we fixed as many as we could and we kept a, kept a log of them. We charted them. And after, and after every day we would start fixing all those problems. And every day there were fewer. And finally, it's in, in physics, you learn that all things in nature are logarithmic. I don't know if you study yep. physics. But anyway, when the curve goes down so far, you reach diminishing returns. You find another hazard and you start on that. So we had our supervisors communicating with our employees. And instead of telling them what to do, we were asking them what needed to be done. That was the flip. The supervisors Love that. and the employees, we flipped that. They weren't being bosses anymore. They were asking their opinions and getting things done. Just like that other situation we talked about with the Hammer Award. So these people on the floor, they may be crazy, but they're not stupid. <laughs> they know what needs to be done. And if you'll ask them and you're sincere, they'll tell you. And we did that over and over. And within 90 days, we went from the worst performance in the company's history to the best performance in, in decades. Our OSHA rate was an averaged over 12 for the previous 20 years. That's not just, a, you know, and we got it down to around two or below. And it's been that way during the four years since I left there. It stayed low, and I call that a culture change when I can hold that for four years after I'm gone. So we changed that culture. And the way we did it was we didn't do it from the top down. We did it from the bottom up. Now, right after that, I read another book. I can't, it was by a man named Rother. And it was on Toyota Kata. And what Toyota Kata does, it, it is about continuous improvement and he was talking about the struggles he had in continuous improvement. And what they finally figured out was if you wanted to make continuous improvement work, you had to do the same thing. You turn it upside down and you start it from the bottom instead of the top. I love that. So I wasn't the only one that figured this out. And what I did figure out was senior managers are smart. They don't always understand everything that goes on the floor, but they're real good at figuring out what's really, when something's really working, they will latch on to it. In fact, they'll even take credit for it sometimes. (laughs) 
<laughs> but if there's any once once it starts working, you start getting converts, and then you get the people at the top of the ladder involved as well, and it goes even faster. So that's that's a great story, and I think that really sets the outline for kind of what that culture is and and how you get there. So kind of the baseline is start at the bottom, work your way up, and it sounds like instead of managers telling the team what to do, they were asking, and then it's almost more of a service model to where they're servicing the needs of the team and, and flipping the pyramid upwards. So let's take that a next step. So how do you create a system to upskill these managers? You had mentioned that a lot of these managers don't know what to do with engagement and that's, you know, a people element. We provide employee surveys and engagement and all that, but you're right. Like when you give that data to managers or you give best practices or action steps to managers and they go, yeah, I don't know what to do with this. I'm just trying to be, you know, get my schedule right for next week. How do you create a system or how have you created a system to drive that performance consistently at the manager level? Because that sounds like a key component for you. Well, there's a couple of things I do. First, the first thing I do is I help the lower level managers determine their role, their basic role. Their basic role is one that I'll call stewardship. They are to protect and up-level the company and their employees. So anything that you do needs to be to the benefit of the employee and the benefit of the company. That's your job, to look after the company and look after the people, okay? Now... Going back to our situation about rules versus practices, if you have a safety rule and you, okay, Joe, you're not wearing your seatbelt. That's an an official warning. I'll have to put a letter in your file because you aren't wearing your seatbelt. Okay, that's the way it works, right? Unfortunately, in a lot of places, yeah. That's that's the way it is, especially if you're in a union shop, which I usually was. What's what's that guy going to do? He's going to go home. He's going to go back out on the floor and he's going to complain to the his people as to what a jerk that the supervisor or jerk the safety guy is. And, and he's going to take half an hour and half an hour. Everybody else's time complaining about it. Well, that's not beneficial. The reason it's worse than that, if you look at what causes engagement, The companies with the most engaged employees make the most money. And from a safety perspective, you have over 60% fewer injuries than if you had low levels of engagement. Well, just as a safety guy, why wouldn't I want to go there? So what you learn to do is you define, you figure out what engagement is. A man named Pink, I can't remember his first name. He wrote a book called Driven. And in that book called Driven, he defined engagement. Engagement is a combination of purpose, autonomy, and skill. Although he used the word mastery, I like the word skill. So anything, for example, in this forklift disciplinary thing we just discussed, mastery, skill, and autonomy. Was any of that promoted the way we did that? No, none of that was promoted. In fact, you pro- you really damaged that person's autonomy. Well, that's not profitable. So why would we do that? Well, we do it because nobody has ever told anybody how else to do it. So here's how you do it. You go to the guy and you say, Joe, it looks like you're not wearing your seatbelt. 
So why can why can we why can you do to help remember wearing your seatbelt next time? And you go into this coaching scenario, the GROW Grow Coaching Model, and you help him understand or find a way to deal to get his seatbelt fastened. So when that that process is over, you haven't damaged anything, and yet you've upgraded his mastery because now he has a tool for getting his seatbelt fastened. So instead of pushing that's everything down, you picked everything up. And the guy's not going to go spend half an hour telling everybody what a jerk you are because you wrote him up for a seatbelt. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, that's universal. You know, as, as a parent, I'm, you know, I'm taking my kids to the pool and taking them to sports. I'm going lots of places. And the number of times I see a parent doing something wrong or breaking a rule and then when they're told that, they just completely lose their mind. Like, adults do not want to be corrected. Even, like, really good, successful, smart, coachable people just don't no. like that redirection. So when you can not have to tell them they're wrong and you can give them tools and, and offer suggestions, yeah, I think that's going to hit a lot better um, yeah, at work and it does. anywhere. I had I had another example, and this was this morning. Another thing this morning, I have one of my senior managers here where I'm at. I've been trying to get him put to put guards on some of his heavy machinery that he should have, and he's been not getting that done very quickly. So I said, "Listen, we let's go to your office and let's talk." And he says, "I bet you want to talk about the guards." I said, "Well, yes, that's that's part of it." So. We, we didn't, we just, I just asked, I said, you know, it seems like we're not making any progress here. What can you do to move this forward? Okay. Did I accuse him of anything? No, I just, it's a collaborative approach. Right. But these are skills that most of us don't have. Most of us don't have these skills. Me in particular, I didn't have these skills. I am a very... Uh, left brain person. I spent the first few years of my adult career locked up in a laboratory with a bunch of test tubes and scientific machines. And <laughs> I didn't learn those skills. There are people who have them naturally. Maybe that's the 20% of the people who are helping get their people engaged. But most of us don't have those skills. I had to learn those skills. And, you know, I want to take a break in just a minute here. And I want to get into kind of teaching and coaching those communication skills. Um, I, I, I want to talk about that because I think that's an area where you've really done your homework and you have some expertise to dig into. But before we take that break, I want to kind of sunset, you know, this part of the conversation about, you know, uh, uh, coaching and upskilling managers and supervisors. Can you outline, and I know you've got some deep process, but at a high level, can you outline some of the other specific steps you take when you're, um, you know, coaching these line level managers for success. I think you've given some great stories, but can you talk a little bit more about maybe a, a process that some of our listeners might be able to start digging into or could reach out to you or however, but some mm -hmm. process that you can implement across the organization to do that as well? Well, individual identity and understanding your role is important. I mentioned that, but beyond that, there's some specific skills that even a klutz like me can learn. Anybody can get these skills. And the way I learned them is I, I, I discovered Chris Voss in that book, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I recommended every manager, every parent read that book. 
And if you can't read, Chris Voss has hundreds of videos on YouTube that you can watch for free and you can learn that stuff. But I've been through that book at least three times. And it, it, it's, it's a list of simple skills that anyone can learn. And you don't have to learn all of them or really be good at all of them to be better than everybody else around you. Because if you upgrade it all, you're going to be ahead of where you were. So we'll talk about those skills when we get back. Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back. Thanks, Ron. All right. It is time for the HR Hot Sauce with Ron Alexander. Ron, are you ready? I am ready. Ron, what is the best job you have ever had? The one I have right now. Always our favorite answer. We'll talk about that in depth. What's the one phrase at work that drives you nuts? Not my job. Do you like working on rainy or sunny days? Rainy, because <clears throat> I don't like to be outside in the rain. And if I'm inside, I can concentrate and I get to hear the rain and I like that. I love that. How can someone make your day at work? Uh, I like most people. I like uh, expressions of appreciation. And I had one of those today, if you, if you don't mind me sharing it. Please. I had a I had a guy. This is kind of a new a new gig I'm working right now, and I had one of the senior managers I've been working with and helping him do some stuff. And he came in this morning, and he said he needed a hug. I've never had that happen before, so he got a hug. <laughs> so that was hey. to me that was an expression of appreciation because I've been helping him out with some stuff and. He, he's kind of got a lot of a lot on his plate, and I've been helping him take stuff off his plate. He appreciated it. I love it. Thanks for sharing that story. Everyone needs a hug. Best useless skill, Ron. Log normal probability distributions. It's a statistical technique that safety people can use to tell how many variables there are if causing an accident. I'm going to say that's not a useless skill, but we're going to count that. Mild, medium, hot, or nuclear. I'm I'm going to say medium. I'm a more of a plotter than a sprinter. What's your favorite interview question to ask or be asked? How does that make you feel? Good one. And then finally, what's your favorite song to bring you out of a funk? Theme from Rocky. That is a great one. We'll add it to our list. Run. We're done with HR Hot Sauce. Let's get back to the conversation. All right, we are back. That was a great HR hot sauce with Ron. We've been talking a lot about, you know, connecting some of the cultural aspects to actual actions and upskilling managers and how to kind of coach and, and create this culture to get you the right business outcomes, engagement, um, all, all those great pieces. But one of the things Ron really seems to have a great hold on is communication strategy. And I want to take the second half of this conversation to kind of pick Ron's brain and, and understand some best communication tips, how to create coaching strategy. Because when we look at our employee engagement data, people element, communication is always on the list. If you go to any company and sit in a meeting and go, what can we improve on? Somehow communication is always a topic. So, Ron, talk us about communication company. Like, where do you start with enhancing communication? Well, we talked about identity. The second 
thing that you learn is actually a, is is going to be a skill, and that the, the easiest skill to learn uh, and very important skill. It has to do with becoming the adult in the room. If you're the supervisor, if you're the manager, you're expected to be the adult in the room. Now, how many supervisors do you know that can't hold their temper, that talk when they should be listening, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? So learn to be the adult in the room. And one of those tools that's real easy to learn is, is to learn how to use a curious tone to your voice. So an employee comes in and they bang on your desk and say, why wasn't I on the overtime list? Instead of getting huffy with them, you say, you're not on the overtime list? Now, that does two things. That's, this, that's why this is a skill. It gives both you and the employee a second or two for those adrenaline levels to taper down. Once those adrenaline levels taper down, people, people's minds can start talking. So what you've done is you've injected a pause in there and that curious tone and the pause that you injected gives both you and the other person time to collect your thoughts so you can have this conversation without it getting into a, a verbal match. That is a skill. And that is a skill that you, anyone can practice and learn, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and it's it, and I feel like it also shows that you're listening. It's also kind of repeating back that, hey, I've heard you. And instead of just saying I've heard you, you're acknowledging you heard them, but also coming at it with curiosity. So I really like that, uh, that, that kind of twist on that. Yeah. Now, the next thing you need to learn is you need to learn to take yourself out of the equation. No more using the word I, because that other person who's coming into your office wondering about why he is or isn't on the overtime list, he doesn't care what you think. So there's no point in going there. And so there's no point in putting that I into any of those next sentences. The other thing you want to do is don't make it, don't go into an accusatory tone. An accusatory tone is like this. Why are you concerned about this? Why do you want to know? Or why, why did you do this? Or why didn't you do that? That is an accusatory tone. And that dampens this uh, engagement thing that we were talking about. So don't do things that hurt engagement. Take the I out of these things and don't start sentences that use the word why. Now, that's a skill. Anybody can learn to do that. You don't have to have this wonderful right-brained intuition to say, okay, I just won't start sentences with why. And you, and you take, the, take the eye out like, I don't think you should be concerned about this, or I, don't, I didn't think you needed to be on the overtime list, or I wanted you to rest and not be on the overtime list or whatever. They don't care what you think. Right, yeah. <laughs> In the examples you gave... Yeah, the examples you gave seem common. Like that's the, yeah. that's how most people I think would answer. Yeah, answer that kind of situation. Now, the other thing about this is the probably the most important thing I'm going to say today. So this is something you want to save somewhere. When the other person understands that you have actually understood them, they will not only begin to listen to themselves, but they will also begin to listen to you. And you can't understand, you don't convince a person that your understanding says, oh, I understand where you're coming from. That does not work 
because it's got that eye. I've been there too. That does not work because it's got the eye. That's what I mean when I say take that eye out of that. It's, not, it's about them. It's not about you. And once you've gone through, and there's some more tools we can talk about. Once you've gone through and convinced them that you have actually understood then this communication thing, is, it's like magic. It begins to happen when they begin to open up. They will consider new ideas. They will consider your ideas. They will think their way through it and find their own solutions. So you're talking about listening, but it's not just listening. It's applying these, these tools and this approach to how you listen that can create that connectivity and that baseline to actually move forward with what, both teams are trying to accomplish mutually. Am, am I summarizing more that right? Well, let me twist that just a little bit. Yeah, more specifically, you're getting them to believe that you're listening. You're convincing that other person that you actually understood the basics of what they're what they're doing, they're what they're thinking, and what their concern is. And that's huge. And thank you for that twist. Like that does. It's not rocket science, but it's nuance, and it's. The success lies in the in the execution of these nuanced items. And that's why I think so many people miss this. They're like, I'm a great communicator. But maybe 90% of their communication is, but the nuances they're missing devalue 75% of the good communication they're doing. So I, I really like that. That like It really resonates the small twist you just put on that to, to get those results. So once you've established the listening, where do you go from there? Once you've established some listening skills, then you morph into coaching. And the coaching part is pretty easy because we've known about the GROW Grow coaching model for, for decades. And, and, and that's the model we use. There are some small nuances in there, but it's basically the same, the same model. And in my teaching, I, got, I have two versions of it. One version of it is using the GRO or the GROW coaching model for behavior, uh, addressing behavior issues. And the other part of the GROW model is for addressing productivity issues. Now, in most HR applications, they don't touch the productivity issues. But I touch on the productivity issues because the productivity issues morph into this continuous improvement thing, and that's the money shot. So when I talk to a manager, a production manager, or manufacturing manager about um, using this, they want to know if there's some dollar signs at the end of the rainbow. And they should. We get. We go into business to make money. We go into business. Yeah. Maybe some people have plenty of money and they do it for their ego. I don't know, I don't know any of those people. For me, uh, if you go into this, you, you've got to have some kind of payoff at the end. And you can you can get that payoff if you if you take it to continuous improvement. I love that. So it, I've heard you say continuous improvement, and I've also heard of continual improvement. Is They're there, not the is, same. Is there a difference there? Yeah, I, I'm starting to yeah starting to feel that. It, continual improvement is basically a backwards look at what you've done. It is, there are ISO, if you're in the ISO 9000 things, the ISO, they're all, they're all, in every ISO standard, there's, there's requirements for continual improvement, and you're supposed to document this. Continuous improvement 
is a forward-looking thing. It's a, it's, it's a tool for generating the kind of improvements that you would eventually document in a continual improvement. So it's proactive instead of reactive. All the best approaches seem to be proactive over reactive. So I want to tie this together in the communication conversation with, with one big topic that I feel like HR gets a not as good of a rap as they should. And I think people in general can benefit from is you know, you've outlined some great structure for communication and listening, but can we talk specifically about communication in negotiations? How is there anything above and beyond what we've talked about to help people negotiate better? You know, in HR, the conversations that it's going from an administrative function, like we're going to do this, we're going to post payroll and we're going to hire people. And, you know, we're going to do our progressive discipline to now to where HR's got a lot more of, of input and they're having to be, you know, defend, we need to buy these resources or we need this, or we're going to have to negotiate that or in salary negotiations, which has been going on forever. How can we take some of this communication structure and specifically point it into negotiation type of conversations? Well, these skills, the, the people skills that I talk about, they come, they come from a guy named Chris Voss, as I've mentioned in that book, Never, Never Split the Difference. Chris Voss was the head FBI uh, hostage negotiator for a number of years. So all of these tools. Oh, interesting. That worked. <laughs> all of these tools come out of what they've learned in, in terms of hostage negotiators. Now, when Chris Voss tells about, tells about this in his book, the skills went, they, their, their record went from about roughly 50% to over 95% in terms of conv convincing this person wow. to walk out of that building without hurting anybody and go to prison. So it takes pretty good negotiating skills to do that. That's where these skills come from. And that's, that is the main part of what he does. If you go to one of his classes, he teaches negotiation classes because businesses will pay him a lot of money to teach this stuff now. So negotiation is actually the main part. What some people don't realize is that every employee interaction is actually a negotiation at some level. So, and it works up level and down yeah. level. You know, as, as a safety guy, I'm usually negotiating with a manager or an employee to follow some kind of safety practice. But I'm also negotiating with my boss, the vice president, the CEO of the company. I'm negotiating up and I'm negotiating down. You use the same tools. I love, uh, I love it. Uh, that Everything you've said this entire podcast has made sense. So yeah. that's, that's uh, it, and it's created more questions for me. Than answers like it's really got the gears turning because you've made me question. I do podcasts. I'm in business development. I work with HR, and yet I'm now having to go back and question a lot of my approaches on these things in areas where I can make a slight difference and get a massive increase in the outcome, positive outcomes that I'm tr that I'm trying to get. So, that uh, Ron, is, I, I appreciate you spending time with us here. That is the magic. Now there are there is a hazard in this that that I will point out. These skills are so effective that there are people who will use them inappropriately. And when you do that, the word is called manipulation. 
Manipulation is not a formula for long-term success. So you, these, this only has long-term success if you have the best interest, the best interest of your company and the best interest of your employee in your heart. If, you, if you're doing this in a manipulative way, it will eventually come back and bite you on the rear. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't disagree or I couldn't agree more. You know, in the employee engagement space, when we talk about collecting employee feedback and employee voice, intention is one of the biggest one of the biggest factors of successful employee voice, employee feedback initiatives or you know, it shouldn't be an initiative, it should be a part of your culture, but the intention of which why are you asking your team? Is it so you just get data for the company to take advantage of different areas or is it to give them a voice and find yeah. some of the stories you started this conversation with to create a better workplace to help those actual employees. So I agree. You can take all of, all of these tools. You can take employee engagement, employee service, use them wrong. But if you have the right intention, which you need to have, you can get some great things out of it. That's a great point. Yeah. Ron, where, uh, uh, where can people find you? Are you on LinkedIn? Where, where can we find you? And I'll add all this into notes, but want to connect you well i'm on i'm on linkedin it's like ron alexander at the safety tribe i'm I'm probably not the only ron alexander but i'm ron alexander at the safety tribe i have uh some some videos on youtube and that's the safety tribe ron at ron alexander in the safety tribe if you put those two things together you'll get this my youtube videos uh ron alexander at the safety tribe.com is my is one of my emails that I check regularly so that you can email things to me if you so desire. I have a little bit of time for helping spread the news like I am right now to, to help people get started on this if they want to learn. I had, I had an, kind of an aha moment when I started this, and I'll share this and you can decide if you have time for it. I think so. But what happened when I got into this is I, I was doing consulting work, and I had a company uh, in Mississippi that was getting pretty far behind on paying my invoices. And as a self-employed person at that time, you know, you need to get a check every now and then. And they were getting pretty far behind. And I had called, and I had emailed. And these companies don't answer. The, the, the accounts receivable people don't answer their phones a lot of times. They don't answer the emails, whether you send it personally or to accounts receivable at, and they were just not replying. And one day I was listening to this recording, this book by Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference, and he had an example in there. He said, if they're ghosting you, do this. What he said was, and I'll share exactly was, you send them a simple one-line, no-oriented question, and that <clears throat> no orient question goes approximately something like this. Have you given up on paying my vi- my invoices as as agreed? It was a one one line sentence. And with after two weeks, nothing. Within 30 minutes, I had an email back. Oh, we're so sorry. We must have yep. just forgot about this. I'll make sure you get a check by Friday, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, oh, my gosh. And so I went back and I, I, re, I, I bought the book, the whole thing, and I read that and I started practicing all these skills. But you have Absolutely. to practice like everything, 100%. Them. That's the other thing I should have mentioned before. 
you have to practice. And that's one of the things that I, that I have to work with on my people. Just hearing about them isn't enough. You have to practice, 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 practice. I don't think we could end this conversation with anything better than that thought right there. Thanks for joining us. And everybody, thank you for listening, whether you're in the car, out for a run, sitting at your desk, taking lunch. Thank you for tuning in and learning all about HR. It's been a great episode, and we'll see you back again soon. Take care, everyone. Understand, engage, inspire, and retain your people like never before. People Elements Employee Experience and Engagement Solution delivers powerful intelligence, giving you the confidence to act. To learn how you can gain a better understanding of your employees, please visit us at peopleelement.com.